10. Yes, sir. It is our 52nd episode. We never actually celebrated episode number 50, so I think this is our first time on the phone together. Partay. In the 50s. Partay. You know, 52 is one per week. So if we've been doing one per week, and I know we've had a couple of hiccups here and there and missed one or two, but the flip side is we might have done a couple in another week. It means we've been doing this for a year. Yeah, uh, we've actually been doing this for about 18 months now because at first we were only doing like one every other week. So And we were slackers uh, back then. Yeah, well, you know, I, I think <laughs> we're uh, still it's slackers. <laughs> we're still slackers. If people knew completely how disjointed putting this podcast together was, it actually, so 48 minutes ago, almost to the number, uh, I said, Marty, if we don't do this podcast now, it's never going to get done today. And here we are 48 minutes later, just starting it. So, um, and and not that we weren't talking about anything unproductive, we were just... That's just, you know, whatever. So, um, so what's going on, man? What, uh, uh, you said you had a story for me. I want to hear it. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, let's, let's talk Turkey, right? Minneapolis is not New York city. Okay. It's not even Chicago. It's a small Midwestern city. You know, I think our entire metro population is about 2 million, which is probably most of the state. But we have some big buildings, right? You've been here. There's some something that would be approximating a skyscraper. There are some big buildings. Yes, I can confirm that. I am not making this up. I literally just looked out my window and about 200 feet up, a private helicopter just flew past my window. It was below. Uh, I mean, it's halfway up the, the, you know, there's probably a 50 story building right in front of me. It was like halfway below. It was like halfway up the building. In downtown Minneapolis. What was it doing? I have no idea. It, you know, it, it wasn't like a news chopper or one of those things. This was more like it would be like owned by you or me if we actually were, you know, making enough money to afford a helicopter. <laughs> really? Maybe some, um, some, some base jumping or videotaping some base jumping. Was there anybody in a squirrel suit jumping off? No, the top of the no. You know, can we talk about that sometime on this show? We don't, we don't have time for it today though. Whoever is whoever takes notes of this show, which is no one, write down squirrel suit as a topic for a first for their episode. Okay, so let's um so let's get on to what we came here to talk about, uh, Marty. And actually, I want to pass this back to you for a sec. Um, uh, the very great someone who uh, I have come uh, to admire from afar, though I have gotten a chance to meet him uh, kind of later into my career. Um, has retired from the Independent Insurance Agents and Brokers of America. That's Bill Wilson. And Marty, you, in the last few months, and I, I don't exactly know how long it is, but you've had the opportunity to do a podcast with Bill for a while. So um, I just want to, kind of as an homage to Bill, just uh, uh, just give us some of your thoughts on working with him and what he's meant to the industry. And then actually we're going to dissect probably one of the better articles that he's written, at least lately, uh, as kind of a going away president, I want to dissect some of the points he made in that. But uh, I'd like to hear your thoughts on on Bill and kind of what he, what he's meant to the industry as a whole um, uh, from your perspective, man. Sure. So so some of our listeners may not be familiar with Bill, so I'll give you a little brief, uh, you know, his history. So he started out actually. Um, this may not have been his first job, but he, he spent a considerable amount of time as the education director uh, at one of the, the big eye state associations in Tennessee. And uh, then he moved over, and I think it was under um, uh, uh, Jeff, uh, oh, come on now. Jeff Yates is um, Jeff Yates. When Jeff Yates was in charge of the Big Eye, he moved over to the Big Eye, and now he uh, is heavily involved with the virtual university. And he has a column in uh, IA Independent Agent Magazine called "Ask the Expert." And Bill is the closest thing to um, an absolute coverage. Uh, encyclopedia of anybody that I know. I'm sure there might be some people out there somewhere, but you know, Bill's heavily involved uh, with uh, the ISO people coming up with standard coverage language. They literally will argue for years over the inclusion or exclusion of a single word in a policy form because of what that means for coverage, right? So, so that is Bill's strength, and and Bill 
has been a friend to the independent agent for forever. And, and I'm not talking about friend like, hi, how are you? I'm talking about fighting for um, independent agents without independent agents ever really recognizing or even beginning to understand the level of effort that he puts in. And so um, while Bill's not leaving completely uh, to you know live on his, uh, he's, he's, he's now outside of Nashville. He, he's got a place on an on a impoundment, a reservoir out there. Um, he's not going to completely retire to the pontoon boat and hang out and fish. Um, he will continue to do a little bit of stuff in the industry. Um, he is leaving official, uh, re, you know, official work life and sort of moving into that transitionary retirement phase. And, and I did get to know Bill. We've been, we, we did, it was called First Monday Live. We did that for a year. Um, we, we, uh, our, our, our title of our podcast was what's going on. And we played, uh, the Mar the fantastic Marvin Gaye tune as our intro music, what's going on. And we just kind of talked about what was going on in the industry from a, um, a coverage standpoint, funky stuff that was going on. I mean, you know, we would explore interesting claims and, and all sorts of fun stuff. And, um, so as you said, uh, this is this is our uh, hat tip to Bill uh, for for everything he's done for the industry. And actually, Bill um, Bill won the Jeff Yates Award the first time it was uh, offered for uh, Bill Bill uh, or Jeff Yates was recognized. Um, as sort of an, an industry insider that was not an agent a couple of years back, and they decided to create a new award that recognizes somebody in the industry who has done uh, so much for the industry, and and Bill Wilson won that uh, last September at the uh, meeting in Chicago. Yeah, it's it's basically the highest award that someone uh, like us, non-agents, could potentially ever win. Um, so. You know, if from my own standpoint, um, I was uh, when I started to get involved with the association as a whole, maybe late two thousand, you know, sometime two thousand nine, two thousand ten, two thousand one, somewhere in there. Um, I just came across his work, you know, researching articles for for the Murray Group's website. Right, I wanted to make sure that the stuff that I was actually saying in the videos that I was doing and stuff was accurate. And you know, I just came across him as someone who's who had written a ton about you know, very detailed, super geek, ones and zeros type coverage language. And, um, you know, and I, and I kind of had him pegged as a, as, as just looking at it from the policy side. But the more that I got to know Bill and what I found incredibly interesting was all the other, you know, how that extended into really the operational side of the agencies and insurance agents and the system as a whole. And, and the perception and branding of the industry, which is a lot of what we're going to talk about in this episode. So we'll move on from kind of uh, stroking Bill's ego here. But um, just I did want to say, uh, you know, for whatever it's worth from Marty and I, you know, thank you to Bill and anyone who has a chance to check out his work, um, do so. This is episode number 52. As we said before, if you go to agencynation.com forward slash the word podcast, look for episode 52. I'll make sure there is a link to Bill's new uh, kind of blog site where he's doing some work called insurancecommunity.com, I think is the URL. And I'll link up to those podcast episodes that you did, uh, Marty, with him. If I can find that uh, resource wherever it is, uh, I'll, I'll get those. And um, if it's being maintained, I will uh, get a link up to that as well so people can find that stuff. So um, let's get into this article that he wrote. Um, it is called the six worst things to happen to insurance in the last 50 years. It was published on IA magazine. I'll have a link to this article as well in the show notes. And, uh, this is pretty interesting stuff. Um, if you know, Bill, it's pretty, pretty dialed in with his hot buttons. And, um, and there are three in particular that I would like to call out and have us discuss because I think it, it's really interesting. And uh, a couple of them actually go along with an article that I posted today as a recording this, uh, December 12th, uh, which was the, the title of the article I just published was uh, uh, Death by a Thousand Insurance Startups, or InsureTech Startups, Seven Lessons Learned While Considering the Demise of the Independent Insurance Agent. So <clears throat> really, it was like, uh, um, you know, we talk about a lot of this stuff. So the first one is one that um, that I think 
is talked about a lot, um, but I would like to get your perspective, Marty, and and, and share mine just because I've been thinking about it a lot lately. Uh, The insurance is a commodity myth. This is the very first uh, thing that Bill mentions in the worst things to happen to insurance in the last 50 years. And really what he's talking about is um, the, the whole marketing and almost acceptance by our industry that insurance is a commodity. So why don't you dial into that one? Yeah, you know, and at some to some degree, um, you know, this this might be um, prove the effectiveness of what Bill and uh, those those folks that are that are working with ISO to to transform the insurance products. It it it, it points at their success. You know, the fact of the matter is, policies have gotten incredibly broad through the hard work of this industry, right? So the the attempt to standardize policy coverages, the attempt to um, sort of take an insurance policy from this very narrow thing that just covered a little bit to, to extend it to, to, you know, not, it's not only, you know, we're not only going to cover the structure, we're also going to cover some contents in the structure. And then we're going to cover, you know, the garage that's not attached to the house in the, in the policy. And then we're going to, uh, you know, cover, cover um, medical payments and like, you know, liability. And so all of a sudden, what that process has done is it's created these sort of universal, um, policies that that do a really good job of covering the average needs of the consumer. With that being said, not every not every insurance company chooses to use that same form and some of them um you know, I mean, the expense the expense ratios of insurance companies are determined by the terms in the policy, right? So if I can figure out that there is, um, you know, one of the things uh, I learned at a, at a, uh, I toured the, toured some uh, locations in California with Safeco and, and one of the people that was on that speaking tour with me talked about um, the, something that wasn't really at the top of my, uh, at the top of my uh, awareness. And that is some of the biggest claims in homeowners come from, you know, slow leaks, literally the, the, you know, the, the, the line to the ice maker in your fridge, your freezer develops a leak and it slowly leaks and you never notice it. It never, you know, it's not like you come home to a flood. It's just a constant drip, 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 which creates mold, which create, you know, and all of a sudden, so, Insurance company controls expenses. Oh, how do we do that? We're going to exclude, you know, slow dripping water. Okay. And now all of a sudden they can cut a huge expense out of their um, loss ratio. So now all of a sudden they can aggressively attack price because their costs have gone down. Well, insurance companies are using these mechanisms to affect their pricing uh, performance. So to say that all insurance policies are created equal is a huge, huge simplification of facts. You know, I the, the one thing that I would say, though, and this gets back to our last podcast is do, you know, for some people, that kind of policy, the generic policy is probably good enough. It's not perfect. But it is good enough. And so the question is, how do we identify where those differences exist? How do we identify whether those differences are um, material to our clients? That's really part of uh, our value add uh, as insurance professionals. So uh, I believe and agree with everything that you just said, um, but I am going to play devil's advocate here. And, uh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to play the perception is reality card. Okay. So everything you just said, I completely agree with. I, I, having sold insurance, I understand that, uh, there are direct and captive, um, auto insurance carriers who don't handle physical damage the same way that homeowners, the same exact, the same exact thing, uh, commercial lines, geez, commercial lines, you know, uh, general liability policy is not a general liability policy is not a general liability policy, right? I mean, they are literally every word could potentially change whether or not, um, something is covered. 
And I 100% agree with you that insurance carriers play, you know, a little bit of a shell game with the various coverages in order to make sure that they can cover the the potential hazards that they have out there, right? I mean, they have to cover these losses. Um, and in order to do that, they have to make sure that the risk in play doesn't outmatch the potential of it happening. And this is where actuaries come in. Okay. So I think that's all great and, and true. And I think uh, from that perspective, which may be one ten thousandth of the population uh, might possibly be able to wrap their brain around. The other, say, 100, you know, 99.999% of the population who has to actually buy insurance and use it every day, uh, I don't think that they, I don't think they have any way of comprehending what you just talked about. I think that there are insurance professionals on this who may not necessarily completely understand everything that you just said. And that's not a knock on them. I just think you have to be kind of a geek to get uh, how carriers underwrite policies, how they manage expense loads, how they manage um, risk and potential loss and reinsurance contracts and all the things that go along with it. I don't even understand it all. Um, And that in the end, if the person buying the thing believes it's a commodity, is it not a commodity? I think the answer to that is yes, it is. That does not mean as a professional that we have to believe it's a commodity, right? That doesn't mean we have to sell it as a commodity. That doesn't mean we have to market it as a commodity. But I think at, a, at some point, we have, to, uh, we have to succumb to the idea that we have allowed, and, and, and I say we, it's most, you know, in most cases, it's not anyone who plays in the IA space, uh, carriers, agents, vendors of any sort. Uh, I think most of the, the, the general uh, population of insurance consumers, I think their understanding of insurance as a commodity has really become, uh, is really the result of mass marketing uh, in large part from directs and captives. Uh, but but even even they kind of pull back a little bit. Farmers has the you know the professor guy. I can't remember his name. You know uh, uh, we know about these things because we've seen these Farmers things. University. Exactly. Farmers University, yeah. And um, so so here's here's the here's what I'm trying to get at <clears throat> is that and and I and I say this in my article today um, to a certain extent, insurance in the consumer's mind is a commodity. Okay. We can fight that as much as we want, but I feel like we're pushing a very large boulder up a hill to fight that battle. Maybe it's worth it. That you know what I mean? We may maybe it is worth it to fight that battle. I, I you know what I mean? That's that's a different conversation. But I think we're pushing a boulder up the hill. Insurance is a commodity. Let's let's just say that um, in the perception of consumers, for the most part. And I would also say something, a, a word that you and I throw around a lot. In the very near future. Customer experience is going to start to become a commodity because eventually uh, a a portion of IAs uh, will catch up in customer experience to kind of what is expected throughout the industry. Um, You know, the the bar of customer experience will be set. You will meet it or you will you will you will not be able to hang on. So so the cliff will become will become um, uh, much closer. And uh, for that reason, insurance customer experience will also become a commodity to a certain extent. There'll be a bar and you'll have to hit it and it'll be what people expect today. Expectations are, are at one level and general customer experience inside the insurance industry is far below that. Eventually that will catch up and expectations will meet reality and that will become a commodity as well. Here's where I'm going. The defining characteristic especially of independent insurance agencies. And this is the part which I think, and, and, you know, and I wrote this line in my, in my article and I've just been thinking about it so much. That's why, you know, it's on my brain is it's, it's the independent agents themselves and the staff in those agencies. It's the human beings that decommoditize the product, right? I look at lemonade and how you, you buy insurance through a bot named Maya um, who really has no personality. It's just baked in personality, right? It's just every third response, say howdy instead of hello. You know what I mean? And, and that's kind of the bake in this false personality. Well, you know, eventually there's 15 apps that look just like that. And it's all the same. And what people always will come back to is that human connection. And I think when we allow, when we, we can position insurance on price, that's perfectly fine. 
I, you know what I mean? You're, you're, there are there are advantages and and very serious disadvantages to that if you want to go that way. You can go on coverage. You can go on ex- customer experience. You can go on availability. There's a million ways you can market your product. But in the end, the defining characteristic of what sets an independent insurance agent apart from every other channel is the human beings who actually pick up the phone and have to talk to that person or look at them across the desk. And my hope for our industry is that we never forget that because it's the reason that we, you know, if, if that wasn't true, the, the way technology moves, we would already be gone. Okay. Independent agents for the most part would be, would be in very, very big trouble if the humans weren't important. They just are so incredibly important to this product that, that it, and it's what defines them. It's what differentiates the product. It's what makes it not a commodity. If that weren't true, then this product would be sold by machines and we would be out of business. It's just, if I would love for someone to push back on me. I'd love for you to push back on that thought. I just, that is what I believe. It is, it always and only comes down to the human beings. How else could a business who's, st- who still barely uses a fax machine and can't email and forces clients to come in to their office and do business with them. How could that business survive today if that weren't true? And those businesses are surviving across the country. I'm going to I'm gonna take something you said on a call with me last week and, and resurrect it. Um, and that is, you know, we... We've created, I think it's safe to say, we've created sort of a uh, <clears throat> a groundswell of concern um, due to some of our recent business practices and some of the, the folks that we're partnering in the question has become, well, just because now you, you want to partner with a, um, you know, with larger organizations, does that somehow mean that you're forgetting your roots, that you're forgetting um, the small local agencies that are the backbone of the IA channel? And um, you and I were looking at the performance uh, of this organization or these types of organizations, and and you said something that's that 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 really kind of hit home, and that is um, that these technology organizations uh, that are 100% tech focused can't make it happen, you know. And 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 I looked, I you said that, and and at the time I kind of put this into a into a visual because I'm kind of a visual guy. And what I see is I see a spectrum of um, capabilities. And I think what you just described and what you said, the the real differentiating commodity or the thing that differentiates it from insurance from being a commodity is the people, right? And the relationships. And I see that as one end of the spectrum, the 100% relationship focused um, delivery of insurance. And the other end of the spectrum is hundred percent automated, right? It's the Maya. It's the, it's the, there are no people involved thing. And I think that either of those two approaches, because they're at the ends of the spectrum are, aren't the answer today. The answer is in the middle, somebody who takes the best of both approaches and marries them together because neither one by itself can be appropriate today maybe in the future at some point i don't know but i agree with you i agree with you actually i want to jump in here real quick marty and um because we were talking about um i i sent you that report from mckinsey the one that went around uh, a few years ago it was like my first year with this company it's like two years ago this report from mckinsey came out and it sent the entire IA channel in an uproar because basically McKinsey, who we all respect, I mean, you can't knock McKinsey for their quality of research and thought that they put into things, basically said, you know, the the independent insurance agency is, channel is in big, big trouble, right? And uh, and that was a, a real strong shot across the bow. And, uh, and I was sent that by a friend of mine. And, uh, and I actually didn't recognize it at first. You know, it's been a couple of years. You read a lot of things. I didn't recognize it. I was reading this. And I was going, oh, man. And I sent it to you and you go, oh, this is that thing from two years ago. So then after you said that, I went and read it again this morning with, with that filter, right? So last night I read it with the filter of it would being something brand new. And then today I read it with the filter of having already of, – of, of knowing that it was a few years old. And, um, and what they were saying two years ago, which I think speaks directly to the point that you're talking about, is that the winners in this game 
directs, captives, IAs, whoever, you know, they're not prognosticating IAs death because of some bias towards technology or, or whatever, you know, they're basically saying the winners in this game will be the individuals who can be, who can be incredibly available, who can, who can communicate multi-channel and who can ultimately continue to build on the connection that, that, any buyer of a product has with the product that they buy, okay? So when you think about that, you know, what you're saying is it can't be one way. You have to talk to Maya through a chatbot, right, which is which is Lemonade's thing. Or an independent insurance agent, which not all of them do. I'm not trying to paint a broad swing stroke. We'll go all the way to the other end. The only way I'll do business with you is if you'll come into my office and sit down across a desk for me and I can we can do that human-to-human thing, right? So, um you know, like, just like you said, both options, I think, will fail. It is the person who can marry seven different channels of communication to the human being. You know, it's the it's the producer who can text, get a text from the person. The text becomes an email. The email becomes a phone call. The phone call then takes them, you know, is then emailed out through a DocuSign, which comes back in, automatically triggers um a note to the CSR through the agency management system, and then the CSR reaches out to them and gets the final documentation, verifies the thing, sends out the ID cards, and now you've had this entire experience through two human beings where the consumer feels completely connected to that agency, has complete confidence, peace of mind in what's happening, but is communicated through five different channels throughout the process, right? I mean, that is what a customer experience looks today. And again, that's just the marketing and new business side of things. And also is, you know, to a certain extent kind of dialed down a little bit, but that's what it's going to look like is humans, you know, not plugged into like matrix style, but plugged into technology and with the ability to take conversations through multiple channels. And that's what McKinsey was talking about, you know, almost three years ago. And we're still not there today. I think we're a lot further along. Jeff Roy just did some incredible work up in Canada. They did a hackathon, and uh, he and some technology partners of his just built a chatbot for Facebook, which is really incredible stuff. Um, Sydney Rowe did an interview with him. You can find that on Agency Nation. But uh, yeah, man, I think you're dialed in. It's in the middle. It's somewhere in the middle. A little left, a little right. We'll figure it out. But it's somewhere in the middle that the solution is going to be. Yeah, and and I mean, Bill's ultimate point was was really coverage related, right? And that was there are diff there are profound differences in insurance policies, and and we shouldn't lose that, right? And and <clears throat> one of his other points uh, that's uh, towards the end of the article is that we as professionals, that's what that's where we add value is to understand how this insurance policy works, where it's robust and where it isn't as robust and and being able to understand that being able to explain that to the customer so you can help the customer make an educated decision as to whether or not those areas that might not be covered appropriately if those are high potential risk situations and if they are then let's figure out what's an additional product that we can bring to bear that it, that 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 uh, addresses that risk exposure i hope that helicopter didn't just crash and that's what the sirens are about in the behind you there <laughs> flying through the building <laughs> yeah. um okay so we beat up the insurance as a commodity thing um I uh, we talked about a lot of resources too. I encourage you guys to check those out. Check out the article that I wrote. Check out Sydney's interview with Jeff Roy. Um, you know, I wanna we're, we're we we spent a lot more time on that topic and we should have known that we than we expected to. But I want to hit a, two more in here. So there's six total. There's two more I want to hit. Okay, uh, one of them we've kind of touched on already. This insurance disruptors and the resurrection of the death of the independent insurance agent prediction. Um, and this really speaks to something that I think, so uh, here's why I think this one is important. And Bill makes a great point, and I, I agree with everything he says. Go in, check it out. Uh, you know, the people have been talking about the death of us for a long time. Here's, here's why I wanted to talk about this one. This idea, I agree with him. I, I say in my in the, the the email that went out today, the article itself, I'm betting on IAs, all that kind of stuff. Obviously, I believe we work for trustedchoice.com, right? So we believe in the system. We do this podcast. We have to believe in the system. But what I'm hoping is we do not use the we've heard this before as a reason to not take 
this latest group of, you know, disruptors. You can't see me, but I'm doing air quotes, disruptors, to take them seriously, right? Um, We'll never know who the disruptor is that changes things or the group of them or the thousand of them or or the technology piece or autonomous. We'll never know which one of these things actually changes our business. And really, it'll be probably most likely just a slow change over time rather than like a a point where it was this way till here and then it was different there for uh, everything after that. Um, but I, I worry sometimes that we use the, we've heard this before, um, argument as a crutch. And, and that's what really scares me. Um, cause I think we should take all of these, we should take everything seriously and the things that prove themselves to not really work or be applicable or have any impact. We just kind of, push to a side and we keep moving. Um, but we need to give everybody their due attention or, or we can, we, we open ourselves up to be blindsided and that's what worries me. Yeah. I think, I think that the, the perfect analogy for this is that old, uh, folk tale, the old wives tale of the boy who cried wolf. Right. So for those of you who may not be familiar with it, right. The, the, the kid yells, he's the shepherd and he yells wolf and the whole town comes running. And of course he was playing a big joke cause he could get a reaction. And he does this a number of times, uh, only to find that the last time when the, when the big bad wolf does come up to attack the flock of sheep, he yells and nobody comes. And so the, um, the, the flock is decimated and whatever, you know, they get scared scattered to the four corners of the of the of the the land there. So, um we need we need to keep a watchful eye. We don't have to overly drama, dramatize the fact that we've got competitors, but we need to pay attention. We can't get lulled into that false sense of security as you said just because nobody else has been able to breach the gates, right? In one of my favorite movies, uh um the Lord of the Rings um, uh, set. There's the the scene where they retreat to the castle in the mountains called Helm's Deep, and of course they they know that they're going to be safe because the enemy will to to quote the movie break like the waters on the rocks at the shore. Uh, what they don't realize is that the bad guys have figured out um, explosive power, and they roll the the big ball of dynamite underneath the. Uh, gate and blow it all to smithereens so there is the potential that somebody can figure out that new thing and come in new ways uh and so we need to be on guard so that we're not caught asleep yeah it just it makes sense and and i guess i guess we're talking we're probably preaching in the choir to a certain extent because you're listening to the show right so you're obviously interested in what's going on but the idea is um i think we should never dismiss i I wasn't around 20 years ago for 30 years ago for fax machines or for email, right? When email first hit the market, I wasn't there for either one of those things. So I can't speak to the talk when those things came out and, and how that would change or, you know, when the internet first hit and, you know, this is going to change the whole thing. So I haven't been through all that. I will say, uh, you know, Marty, we spent a lot of time together. You came through some of those things. Uh, Chip has. We have a lot of friends in the industry who were there for those things. Um, good friends, members of the TrustedChoice.com board and Trusted Choice board who are willing to share stories and stuff. Uh, hey, man, I was there when up. fire. I was there when fire was invented. That does not surprise me, and I'm sure that you have like ten anecdotes about the creation of fire as well. Um, so how you pulled that Lord of the Rings quote out of your rear end is beyond me, uh, though very impressive. Um, so, uh, this is, this is my point is that it feels different to me. This feels different. And there is actually a very specific reason for that. It's the pace of change and the, how fast ideas are able to spread today because of things like this podcast, because of things like, you know, the internet and email and social media ideas, concepts, technology spread so quickly. I mean, if Jeff Roy wanted to, just going back to that, he could take the code for his Facebook chatbot, put it up on GitHub, and give it out for free if he wanted to, right? I mean, I don't think that he should do that, but, um, or, you know, I'm not, I'm not 
trying to put pressure on him to do that. I just the idea is that in a, in, he could easily share that code with his, with whoever he wanted, right? I mean that they, that's how quickly things can spread and ideas can spread, and the pace of change is so quick, and there's so much money involved. It just feels different to me. I do think that the valuations on some of these companies are overblown. I, I definitely believe that. Uh, there's been talk of a uh, you know a technology, another technology bubble, a startup bubble. Um, I think some of that is is accurate. I mean, there's been so much money thrown at these companies, and you look at a valuation like Zenefits had 4.2 billion. They they paid out what? They've paid out less than a million dollars, or you know, just over a million dollars to the various states that they were um, penalized from, and they lost half their valuation. I mean, how is that even possible? I, 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 you know, I mean, how do you, how do you, how is a four point two billion dollar valuation legitimate if a seemingly small infraction that does not change their business model? It's really like. You know, they got to pay out some cash and, you know, and they had some bad press or whatever, but nothing that like disrupted their model. And they lost $2 billion in valuation. Is something crazy like that? I mean, it's just so, I mean, what I'm saying is, you know, for, you know, for that much here's of a part change of what it is. It's, 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 it's hype, right? It's hype. And when the story is great, you know, the height, you know, we talked about uh, uh, Theranos, right? Another one of these, you know, monsters that that collapsed overnight because the the dreams were not fulfilled. So um, I, I don't want to get off on the Zenefits tangent too too big, but I did just see that their uh, the CEO. Remember, we we uh, yeah. we did a exactly. podcast that came in. He just resigned. Yeah, the yeah, the, the turnaround on. guy. Right. So so that leads me to believe that maybe there's something else going on there. But let's not get off on that uh, side topic right now. Who knows? That wasn't really the point. The point is, this just feels different. I I'm not I am in no way believe that independent agents are are going away. Death of the insurance agent crap. I I completely don't believe that. Um, But I do believe things are going to change. Business is going to be tougher for different reasons, easier in other ways. But in general, it will change, which is never easy, and um, and there'll be winners and losers, and people who will struggle, and people who will exceed, and uh, and those may be different than what was traditional. Um, and the market will shift, and there'll be new players, and current players will be gone, and and it just feels more tumultuous to me than when the fax machine was introduced or when email was introduced. I think these were these were uh, these were innovations to standard processes. I feel like processes are are changing to a certain extent. So I just I guess my long-winded way if I'm going to boil this down, long story long here is um I just hope everyone keep your periscope up, right? Keep your eyes open. You know, read the articles, talk to people because, uh, man, we are, there's a deluge of people calling us and wanting to talk to us about different things. And I know if they're talking to us, they're making 30 other calls throughout the industry as well, trying to meet with people. And they're all different companies doing all different things. Every one of them trying to either, you know, in some way help agents do something better, whether agents actually want it or not. And, and it's just, it just, feels different to me. It feels faster. And um, I think to me, it could be a bonanza for independent agents, but uh, but we have to keep our eyes open and we have to try things. And, uh, and I hope that everyone listening will. All right. Number three. Number three. I think we've kind of talked about number three because in a roundabout way. So, you know, this one was the obsession with data versus people. And I think that's mm. really what we've been talking about this whole time, you know, is, is that um, you know, big data, you know, you know, doing everything based on the bottom line. And I mean, you know, Bill shares a really interesting story at the, at the, at the bottom of this section. He says, here's an anecdote. Several decades ago, an agent negligently failed to insure a barn that subsequently suffered a total fire loss. The branch manager of the insurer contacted the four other branch managers of farm insurance of farm insurers the agent represented. So basically called his competition. 
They each agreed to pay one-fifth of the loss so their agent wouldn't be embarrassed in his small community. And then he asked the question, how likely is this to occur today? That you know, I can't imagine. I mean, that, that would be an insane scenario today. I mean, that all five branch managers would be fired or at least questioned. Um, you know, and, and here's what I'm going to say to this one. I think at a high level, I like the thought of people versus data. Um, and I don't want to be cold hearted, but I, it's hard for me to believe whether I believe in people or not, or Marty, you believe in people or not people versus data. It's hard for me to believe we ever go back to the community, you know, aspect, you know, you call your underwriter and, you know, and she remembers you bought her a, a cocktail at the last company get together and, you know, and you had a great conversation. She's like, I'm going to do him a favor today. And blah, blah. it's just hard for me to believe that uh, that's going to happen more. I think it still does happen. I believe it does because I know my wife has great relationships with some of her underwriters at the Murray Group and um, and that helps her get things done sometimes. So I still believe it's there to a certain extent. But it's hard to me believe. It's hard for me to ever believe we're going to swing back away from data. Um, so, it, you know, I. It's just. The, I mean, these are big topics. I know, but um, if we pine too hard for the old days, um, I, we're not going to see tomorrow. And and also, I don't know if we should always. I think we always look back on the old days and go, "It was better then," and I. I struggle to believe that that's always the case. I think those may seem like sweeter times. It doesn't necessarily mean that they were. I, I, I could be wrong, and that's just my impression. You know, it's part of that sort of colorization of the old black and white days, right, if, if we can use that sort of analogy, is that tends to be um, thought of or... or, or um, it's, it's very narrow circumstances that are the good parts, right? So the part that the, that the f- five insurers got together and, you know, did the right thing on behalf of one of their great agency partners, um, you know, that's a very limited um, subset of all of the things that were going on at that time, right? Let, let's, you know. How long did it take to get a flipping uh, bop quote? Six weeks, right? Um, you know, what did you have to do to rate an auto? You had to go to five manuals and hand calculate them. Um, well, you know, what about getting some, a claim rep out to look at that burning barn? Well, holy smokes, that might have taken a week to get somebody there, right? So the point is, um, and then heaven forbid that, you know, we would get them a check quickly. So so the point is, it's easy to um, wax philosophic and, and, and think of all of the great things that happened in the past when you look at individual specifics. But when you go to the overarching um the all of the all of the variables all of the components it's i think it's a tougher case to make now that's not to say that you know life might have been better when it was all idyllic and you know it was a slower pace and all that kind of stuff i get that but the the long and the short of it is much of the improvements that have taken place in the last however long 50 years 50 days those improvements are by and large improvements sure they come with some added costs whatever but we march forward yeah and you know and 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 I want to kind of sum up Bill's thought on this and and wrap this episode up in general and I think he makes the defining point really to to this whole conversation and um you know and, and again I'm going to I'm going to read from his writing he said uh Uh, He's talking about uh, data versus people. And he said, the movement today, though, is not about predictability in the aggregate, but whether an individual risk or very small subgroup of insureds is likely to have a loss. At issue is the accuracy and relevancy of these models, as well as their impact on affordability and availability for those individual risks that the algorithms say don't measure up. As Ben Franklin said, all things in moderation. And I feel like this is, you know, I... um, 
You could just say moderation. You could say all things to the middle, right? I, I think the idea here is that using data, using predictive models, um, these things are incredibly powerful tools. But if we lose sight of the fact that it's it's sometimes uh, the the data isn't the be all end all, especially as the data set becomes smaller, right? Especially as you start to look at things that aren't. We don't have a hundred thousand cases to compare it against. Um, you know, the data doesn't always predict in, in the most optimal way. And we don't want to lose sight of the fact to come full circle here. It, it, in the end, the backstop to all things in our industry is the human beings that operate it. And as long as we're, we're, we're finding ways to use technology to make our work more efficient and easier, but at the same time, we're still you know, the, the human is still plugged into those things. I, th I think we're going to move forward. And I hope that, um, you know, I mean, th th these are just important topics and maybe this is a little, we're waxing a little bit here, um, in this episode, but you know, I think these are, these are the core things that drive fear, right? We, I think we're afraid. I think a lot of times the, the blowback that we get, uh, at trustedchoice.com comes from a little bit of fear that we're trying to disintermediate the independent agent and uh, that's 100% not the case. I mean, every single thing we do, uh, a lot of our partners, the same exact way, right? They're they're trying to find ways to get agents to connect with technology and then put them in front of. And yes, do you have to do things a little different? Do you have to adopt some new tools? Do you got to pick up the phone even when you don't want to? Yes. But if you're willing to do those few small things and make a few process changes, uh, there is a whole new world of opportunity out there. Um, and, uh, I hope you guys will come along for the ride. I, um, and this is where I'm going to make my pitch for elevate 2017 because these ideas are the, why we grouped the people together who we did, right? They're, the speakers at elevate 2017 are not there by accident, right? This isn't like just hear the people who thankfully said yes to coming to our thing. They're handpicked. We went a hundred percent. Yes on our asks, which is an amazing, and thank you to everyone who's coming, but every single person that we asked said yes, uh, that's, uh, and thank you to them, um, but they were handpicked, this, this, we want you to come and, and live this narrative of some high-level thinking around technology and the future of agents, coupled with some very tactical how-tos and strategy and really diving in, and we've, we've given these sessions names, we have, so the, the uh, Elevate is a superhero theme. And we have super sessions, full audience, um, bigger kind of keynote style stuff, kind of get your mind open, thinking about new things, and hero sessions, intimate, kind of uh, the rooms are a little smaller, um, and these sessions are where you're going to really dive into the strategy and the tactics that build off of the bigger concepts that you're going to get from the super sessions. So, um, I, Marty, I, we, we finished up the... the um, schedule for the event last week uh, that's going to be published very soon i'm starting to collect session titles and get, you know get all the speakers stuff together we're, we're still working on that but um but we have 23 or 24 confirmed speakers and to be honest with you uh every single one of them complete rock star complete rock star superheroes uh, baby superheroes yeah superheroes seriously people who who honestly and genuinely care about the future of our industry, and uh, I can't wait to share them with everyone who attends Elevate 2017. I think, um, you know, I think I think it's going to be an event that that we can be proud of, and that our industry can be proud of, and I hope every attendee is proud to attend and 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 feels like they got their money worth. If nothing else, I can tell you, uh, you're going to be fed. Right, come for the food, stay for the content. We we're, we're feeding you. I was looking at the thing the other day, and. Um, Dinner Sunday, you know, heavy hors d'oeuvres, so essentially dinner and drinks. Uh, breakfast, lunch, then a dinner uh, with drinks and everything on Monday night. And, and then it's not any dinner; it's brats. Yeah, the brat bonanza. Though, if you don't eat brats, there'll be other food too. But if you're into brats, you're going to be very happy. Uh, and then breakfast, lunch on on Tuesday, so uh, you'll be well fed. Um, so come for the food, stay for the content and the people. And uh, if you're looking for more information, uh, elevate uh, our agencynation.com forward slash elevate one seven. So the number is one seven, elevate 17. 
and you go there, you register, and I'm going to give, um, here's a little back door for you podcast listeners. Um, it's not going to be open for long, but there's a little back door in the system right now. I have not, I have not, um, closed out the cyber monday code you haven't so, taken that off yet man i, I called you about that a week well, ago. i took it off the website but i haven't actually like closed out the discount code so if you're listening to this and you've made it this far into the show then uh you obviously are either a masochist or like us you're hardcore and, baby we love hardcore, you we yeah, love and, and for that reason um if you, you use the, the discount code, code Cyber Monday, it'll take two hundred dollars off your ticket. Cyber um, Monday, Cyber Monday, all one word. Um, I haven't closed out that code yet. So it's a little gift to you guys. I don't know how long we'll keep it open. At some point, I'll probably have to turn it off. So don't wait. Uh, but you know, and, and look, you can you you don't have to pay for your hotel yet. You just got to pay for the registration. You just book your room. So so it's held for you. But um. But yeah, I I would jump in there and get that, and uh, and it's just a present to you guys. I want you guys to come. Um, Marty and I, you know, we think about this thing every single day, and uh, and I, I really I want to share this with you. I, I think this is going to be special, um, and uh, the group of people we already have coming are rock star. I'm looking at the attendee list, and I'm like rock star, rock star, rock star. You know, it's just awesome. So. Uh, uh, we got people from carriers. We got people. We got tons of agents. Um, we got some really incredible technology people that are just coming to be part of this. Uh, some great sponsors lined up already, getting involved. So um, I, I just think it's going to be. And a we're ton working of fun. a completely top secret additional angle on this deal. So do yes, not yeah, think that you have super top secret. Do yeah. not think that you've got all the deets on this deal, right? Yeah. It's, there is a is. godfather of the IA channel who is who's don't who's don't be don't swirling don't. he's swirling so we'll okay we'll, we'll pump the brakes we'll pump I'll pump the brakes I, I just give him everything you know I'm so I know bad. you're you're like I'm so you, bad at keeping secrets it's you not, you cannot be part of the intelligence community because I know, no top way. secret shit I would could. go in your ear and out your mouth I can't my wife. My wife is so funny. She's like, you know, I, we were at a party one time. This is completely, you can just tune out at this point if you want to. But um, so my wife is, um, we were at this party one time and someone asked my wife, cause I, you know, cause I travel all the time and someone asked my wife, do you ever, you know, yeah, half jokingly, you ever worry about Ryan on the road, you know? And she goes, are you kidding me? He gives me my Christmas presents three months early because he can't wait to tell me what he bought me. She's like, I would know, I would know 10 seconds after it happened. I'm not worried. And, um. So I just thought that was funny. Yeah, I'm terrible with secrets. Don't tell me anything. Okay, I got I got one thing. So whoever our mystery note taker is out there that's reminding us of all the stuff that we got to get back to, in in, in addition to proximity suits or uh, wing suits and proximity flying, we need, as Ryan calls them, squirrel suits. We also need to get into some topics that we've been teasing you with. The thing that reminded me was our little discussion on data. So I think yeah, yeah. we owe you. I think. We we owe you a topic on big data. I think we owe you a topic on um, blockchain. I think we owe you a topic on internet of things. These are some of the things that are happening in our industry that we need um, We need to make sure that we're keeping you guys informed on. And hopefully, uh, if those are topics that make sense to you and that you're interested in, you're going to keep coming back for more. Thanks, guys. We're going to get out of here.